0: Hi everyone, it's so good to be with you today, and I'm excited that I have the opportunity to kick off our I Choose series. Last week, knowing that I'd be bringing the message today, I thought it would be interesting to ask around a little bit about our subject for today. So, I took an informal poll on my Facebook page and I asked the question, what are you most tempted to complain about? Of course, I got a lot of answers, so that was really cool just to see the different answers that people gave. And a lot of them were quite specific to the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Things such as not being able to hug grandkids, seeing a little too much of the natural color of our hair without access to our stylists, um, staying home all the time. Uh, having to work from home, and of course, there were some other more general complaints as well that people listed um, complaining about our kids' whining, complaining about being too hot or too cold, doing dishes or other kinds of chores um, people people other people were the source of a lot of our uh, complaints, spouses, the government, the media, on and on so needless to say, in general, I think we can we can say that we have. We are tempted to complain about a lot. So as we kick off this I Choose series, it seems like there is so much right now that is completely out of our control. But the thing is, is that we do get to choose our responses to those things. So our focus today will be on choosing gratitude over grumbling. Many of us might even say, I don't really see what the big deal is about complaining, Everybody does it, and you know, in Scripture, you can even see quite a few stories about complaining. In fact, if you look in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, it starts out with Adam complaining to God about that woman, that woman, tempting him to sin. So we see it from the very beginning of Scripture, the temptation to complain. If there's one group, though, that's known for grumbling more than any other, It has to be the Israelites in the Old Testament. Their story is a pretty interesting one. Just a quick recap for you. They were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage and they had one prayer and that prayer was, God, get us out. So God raises up a leader, Moses, and through this whole series of events, Pharaoh's heart changes. He eventually lets the Israelites go and they walk out of Egypt. Then Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army to go after them and bring them back, and then the Israelites were surrounded. So on the one side, they had the mountains, and then on the other side, they had the sea. Here comes the Egyptian army. So what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. Eh, No big deal, right? But then the Egyptian army is still coming. God departed the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. The army follows, but then God closes the sea, and so the army drowns. The Israelites are now free. God feeds them miraculously. God pulls water from a rock. Their clothes never wear out. And what do they do? They complain. They grumble because they don't like the food. They say, we wish we would have died back in bondage. They're slightly dramatic. I want us to look at this because it's actually a little bit hard for us to imagine. Exodus 16, 2-4 describes how the whole community is in the desert, the community of Israelites. The Bible says they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And if you read on in the story, they just continue to grumble. And they say, we're going to die. I wish we had died back there. They're going to steal our kids. They're going to take our wives. And this is going to be the worst thing ever. Here's the deal. If you want to be divisive, if you want to hurt the heart of God, if you want to drive other people away, and if you want to hurt yourselves, keep on grumbling, keep on complaining, rationalize it, excuse it away, say everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. Or, if you want to have a life that truly honors God in a significant way, I challenge you to do what I'm actually challenging myself to do, so this message is as much for me as it is for any of you today, and that is to choose gratitude over grumbling. I want us to unpack for a few minutes why grumbling and or complaining, we'll use those terms interchangeably today, but why it is so dangerous. And I think we can look to a couple of principles that we find in the Old Testament that identify the cost of complaining. The first thing I think is important for us to understand is that complaining offends the heart of God. Complaining offends the heart of God. For those of you who have children, have you ever done a lot for your children and they just continue to whine? You bless them in so many ways and they have, they're so fortunate but they continue to say things like, I'm so bored, there's nothing to do, my life stinks. I mean, my kids have never done that, but maybe yours have, <laughs> just kidding. Sometimes you just wanna say very lovingly to them, you know, you ungrateful little Brett." Actually, in Numbers 11, one and two, kind of gives us a glimpse as to maybe how God might have felt a little bit that way too, because it says this. Now, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, and I want us to take note of this next part, when he heard them, his anger was aroused. It kind of ticked him off. It goes on to say Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The Israelites' complaining made God so angry that it, it offended him enough that he burned the outskirts of the camp. So if you ever come home and the outside of your yard is burned, that might be a clue you've been complaining a little too much. The principle, though, is pretty clear. That offending, that grumbling offends the heart of God. One time when Moses was whining to God about the people complaining, which is a little ironic, Moses is complaining about the people complaining, he said, they're complaining to me. And then God said, actually, they may be complaining to you, but they are complaining about me. God takes our complaints personally, and it offends the heart of God. And the second principle I want us to take note of today is that grumbling carries significant consequences. Grumbling carries significant consequences. Very practically, so before we even look at the spiritual consequences, you know, if you want to drive people away, complain all the time. Something I heard last week about grumbling (laughs) is that complainers, it's kind of like they have spiritual bad breath. I know it's kind of gross, but it's actually a pretty good point. What do you do when someone has bad breath? When you're talking to them and you just kind of take a couple of steps away? I'm sure it's happened to all of us, but when people grumble and complain all the time, it actually does the same thing. It drives other people away and it will also hurt you. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but I want you to see from scripture that complaining carries significant consequences with God. Here's what God says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27 and following. God says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So God basically tells Moses that he's had his fill he is fed up. God says, as surely as I live, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. The very thing you wanted, you're not going to get it. Besides Caleb and Joshua, no one else, you're not going in. You don't, get you, you don't get what you want because I'm not going to put up with it anymore. You've complained so much. I'm not going to bless you with what I wanted to bless you with, and I'm not going to give you what you wanted most of all. Now, I'm not going to say for sure that God is ever going to do that in your life, but it could be, based on what we see in Scripture, that if we read into what he did there, there may be times where God says, you know what? You've got to learn that you can't complain against the one who blesses you because at some point, I'm just not going to bless you with the thing you want most. Your complaining has driven me crazy. And that can cost you significantly, both spiritually and practically. Maybe you've heard the term confirmation bias before. We see it all around us, every day, and the best example I can think of, and you're probably thinking of it too, is on social media. The principle of confirmation bias says that many people favor information that confirms their previously existing beliefs or biases. They search out and they interpret new information based on their already existing beliefs. It confirms what they already believe. An example, imagine that a person has a belief that left-handed people are more creative than right-handed people, and whenever this person encounters a person that's both left-handed and creative, they place a greater importance on this evidence that supports what they already believe. This individual might even seek proof that further backs up this belief while discounting other examples that don't necessarily support the idea. My point is, is that if you want to grumble, you can find things all day long to grumble and complain about. If you want to be bitter and critical and negative, you don't have to look far to find things to be bitter and critical and negative about. And when you're negative, you do draw negativity towards yourself as well. And as a result, you will be miserable. So will the people around you. It really does cost you significantly. Something interesting that I was reading about this week is that sociologists have noticed that the more blessed people are, the more critical they become. And in recent generations, they've actually found that people are becoming more critical and more negative, and they are complaining more. The theory is that the entitlement mindset is growing. That leads people to being negative and critical. And so an example of the entitlement mindset could be when it gets created in children, is that the parent who is in charge of dinner asks the kids, what would you like for dinner? And the kids say what they want, and then their mom or dad makes that for them. But in the opposite situation, a parent just decides what's for dinner, it's served, and if one kid doesn't like it, typically there's another kid who will say, great, that means more for me. In the second scenario, the kids are conforming to the needs of the family rather than the family conforming to the needs or the wants of the children. And when a family continuously conforms to the needs of the children, what can happen? Well, the kids grow up to be adults, and they think that they are the center of the story, that they are the center of the plot. We think we get what we want, and any time we don't get what we want, since we are the center of the plot, we have the right, the God-given right to complain about anything that is not the way we want it to be or think it should be, and then ultimately, That can even cause us to complain against God. God, why isn't my life the way I think it should be? At its root, complaining and grumbling is a pretty intense spiritual problem. We think we are in the center, and when anything is not the way we want it, we have the God-given right to complain in our own minds. The bottom line is, is that it's God who is the center of the story. He's the main character, not us. God doesn't exist to serve us, and he is not up on the throne saying, oh no, they're upset again. What can I do to make them happy? No, we exist to serve him. He, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and we, we exist to glorify him. God is the main character. We are not. When you complain, it's because you think you are the main character. And at at its root, this is a profoundly deep and serious spiritual problem that we really need to deal with. So what do we do? What do we do in a culture where grumbling is not only normal, it's almost expected? How do we go about restraining our complaining? I'd like us to look at a few verses, and then we'll break them down a little bit more. In the book of Philippians, in the New Testament, in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, We're going to take a look at the what, the why, and the how of governing our grumbling. So let's look at the what. What is the what, according to Scripture? The what is actually pretty direct, and it's pretty complete, actually. Paul said the what as plainly as he could when he said, Do not complain. Here it is from Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I think I will start quoting this to my kids every day. This kind of grumbling can affect even our closest relationships. Something that marriage counselors often do when couples have these long lists of complaints about each other is that they get them to start tracking what they do like about each other. And if, if that works like it should, before long, the list of things they are thankful for and that they appreciate and like about each other far outweighs the things that they're grumbling about. But because the focus is on those small things, couples tend to forget about the big things, and all of a sudden, they're taking things that shouldn't be much of an issue, and they get into real trouble because that's where the focus is, which kind of brings us to another example of that confirmation bias that we talked about earlier. You kind of see what you're looking for. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Ephesians 4.29 says it this way, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Anytime you are about to grumble or complain in the next week, maybe try a little experiment. And I know I'm challenging myself to do this as well. You can even physically just bite your tongue a little bit. Anytime you're about to complain, just stop and watch how much less you talk. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't complain and and ride your kids all the time, but instead look for things that build them up. Maybe instead of saying, I'm sick of my job and these stupid people at work, try to turn it into, thank God I have a job. I've been blessed with a job, and I'm here to make a difference in this place. Let what comes out of your mouth be helpful for building others up, rather than tearing down. Grumbling, it never makes anything better. Okay, so that's the what. Let's shift our our attention to the why. Why should we not complain? The what is don't complain, but why do we not complain? And the answer is so you can become more like Christ. That's the answer. It's a very important answer for those of us who are Jesus' followers. Why? So we can become more like Christ. Let's start over and read the verse again. Philippians two fourteen and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do everything without complaining. Why? So that, and then Paul goes on to say, you may become blameless and pure. Well, What is that like? Well, it looks a lot like Jesus. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. I mean, he could have said, do not lie, cuss, cheat, steal, lust, and that's what will make you pure. But what did he say? Do not grumble. Don't complain. It's such a hard issue because at the root, It means that we are trying to be the center of the story, the center of the plot. And if you can remove yourself from the center of the plot and put God in his rightful place, then you'll stop complaining and you can become pure. You can become children of God without fault in this corrupt generation. Now what we've talked about up to this point, most of it is external, right? But Jesus said very clearly in Luke 6, 45, From out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we only fix the external, we are really missing the heart of the matter, which is the internal. If our heart is not right, then we are still really losing this battle in a significant way. This is not about a behavior modification program. This is about heart change for us. So what do we do? Well, we seek to align our heart with the heart of God what do not complain why so you can be like christ now here's the how how it's choosing to rejoice no matter what you align your heart with god and you choose to rejoice no matter what and this is what paul did it's actually pretty amazing when you consider the context paul was writing the book of philippians from the perspective of a prisoner paul was under house arrest And in his mind, I can imagine him thinking something like this. This is probably the end of my game. I'm probably nearing the end of my life. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. What do you think that means? When he says, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, what do you think he's really saying there? Well, he's saying, even if I die for this, even if I give my life for the cause of Christ, you know, most people in that situation would probably be grumbling. I don't like being in prison. I didn't do anything wrong. I need to be out there making a difference. This isn't fair. I've been falsely accused. But Paul says, even if I die, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be, what? you too should be glad and rejoice with me. How in the world can he say that? Let me tell you how he can say that. Because this is a guy who said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. How could he say that? Because he was no longer the center of the story. His heart his heart was aligned to the heart of Christ. He had been transformed, he had been forgiven, and I can almost hear Paul say, if you'd only known where I came from, if you only know what I've been forgiven of, and if you, only, if you could only know what Christ has done for me, how could I ever do anything but rejoice? I trust him as the supreme God of the universe who has not just my best interests, but his own glory in mind. And if my discomfort somehow brings him glory, why in the world would I complain about anything because he is the center of the story and I am his willing and rejoicing servant. You choose to rejoice. We have a real life example that we are living in right now. We might feel like we're under house arrest, right? With this stay at home order. And yes, we we really are facing some significant and real concerns about our health, about the economy, about mental health, about abuse and neglect. So I'm not suggesting that those things should be minimized. That's not it at all. And I also want to point out, there is a big difference between grumbling and genuine lament. We see examples of lament in scripture especially as we read through the psalms and lament is really pouring out our hearts before god regarding those things that are causing grief or sorrow it goes much deeper than grumbling so i want to make sure we don't lose sight of the power of being real with god in our lament in our grief and our sorrow but what i'm asking us today is for us to ask ourselves, how much good is our grumbling and complaining doing? How much good has it done? Is your grumbling actually accomplishing anything? Now, I do believe that God can put things on our heart that are on his heart. We have this kind of sense of holy discontent about things that God actually wants us to pay attention to and things he wants us to do something about, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I think I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Complaining about not getting a haircut, or not getting our nails done, or complaining about having to cook so much, or grumbling about having to work from home. Um, This is kind of my uh, cause of grumbling. Grumbling about having another Zoom meeting. um, Complaining about this and that. Things that really we'd almost classify as first world problems. So what if we started thanking God for things and how we are seeing him at work around us even now in this time of global crisis? What this does for us is that it removes us from being the center of the story and it aligns our hearts with Christ. At first, it might just be words, but after a while, if we say those words enough, it actually can change our hearts if we are persistent with it. It leads us to a place of praising God for what we do have. We do. We have a home. We have a computer or a phone that we could do a Zoom meeting with. We have food to eat. We have people who care about us. And the list goes on. And you know, when we take ourselves out of the center of the plot, and we put the only one who is worthy to be there, God, and we align our heart with Christ, we realize that grumbling costs a lot. Grumbling offends the heart of God. It costs you significantly. It drives other people away. But you can overcome it. You can stop grumbling and you can choose gratitude and that leads us to being more like Christ. And that's the goal, right? To become more like Jesus. Your heart will be aligned with him and you can rejoice in all things because he is good. So as we wrap up our time today, my challenge to you is to evaluate what you say, evaluate the things that are coming out of your mouth, whether it's out loud, on Facebook or Twitter, wherever it might be. Even what you say to yourself in your own mind can be very, very powerful. Being honest with yourself is a great place to start. And then make a commitment to choose gratitude over grumbling and you will become more and more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we admit that we like to grumble, we like to complain, and we confess that this is a poor reflection of how incredibly blessed we are. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for our grumbling. God, we want to live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that reflect your goodness and your grace. Help us to put you in your rightful place as the center of the story, so that we can go about your business, building your kingdom, and having attitudes that reflect your heart. God, when we are tempted to complain, remind us that we have a choice. We can choose to praise you, to glorify your name, that we can choose to bless your name even in the valley, even in the middle of a global pandemic, We can make the commitment to choose gratitude over grumbling. Yes, we will, Lord. Yes, we will. In your name we pray. Amen.